Welcome to IB Talk, the leading podcast for the insurance industry across Australia, New Zealand, and throughout the Asia Pacific region. Brought to you by Insurance Business. Hello, and welcome back to IB Talk. I'm Danny Wood, news editor of Insurance Business Australia. Sigma 7 describes itself as a new kind of risk services platform. It says its clients include more than 300 of the largest and most complex organizations in the world. The firm is headquartered in the United States, but has a presence here in Australia. Rob McMullen, president of Paragon Risk Engineering, one of Sigma 7's companies, described Australia as one of the most important markets for his firm. Andrew Tate is a partner with Sigma 7 and its integrated risk leader. He's in the US city of Philadelphia. Hi, Andrew, and welcome to IB Talk. Great to be here, and uh, thanks for taking some time with us today. Sure. So in an elevator-style pitch, how would you describe what Sigma 7 does? I guess simply put, our goal is to help companies, help our clients have better risk outcomes. We've got a lot of deep risk management expertise. We've got industry-leading training and an intelligence fusion platform to look across the world of risk. And then we we pulled together best-in-class property engineering, as you mentioned with Paragon, risk consulting, forensics and forensic accounting, physical security, cyber risk and security, diligence and investigations, and pull all those together to help our our clients prioritize their risk management spend. And it's it's really about helping them know where to focus, designing a program that can help them get there, and then helping them deploy that program to make it as easy as possible to get there. You do have a, a brokering background. You, you're with one of the biggest brokerages in the world, the biggest one, a managing director at Marsh. I mean, I guess there's now a lot of crossover between strictly risk managing and, and brokering. What do you see as the skills specific to risk brokering that you have to use in your job now? I think it's about appreciating that every every account has different stressors. And some of those stressors you need to fix with insurance. So you really have to be able to understand them, to understand which insurance markets, which coverage wordings, which program structures are most appropriate. Um, When I was at Marsh and JLT and some of the other places I've worked, I appreciated the importance of using the different tools in different ways. I, I likened it to having a quiver of arrows and knowing which which arrow to pull out for which situation so that you can actually get to the point and, and get on with the right answer as quickly as possible. Um, and that's true not just of insurance, which is the sort of risk financing tool, but it's true of the, of the whole portfolio of risk management techniques that you need to, to help a company be a better managed risk. Let's talk a little about your plans in Australia. One of your executives visited here last year. I know you have a small setup focused on here. Where does Australia fit into Sigma 7's picture? Well, absolutely. I mean, we're we're a global business. Certainly, Australia is important to us. Our, some of our biz, biggest client bases in the world are, are mining. Uh, very big in, in Australia in the mining space. It's it's important to us. Food. We're a big player in the in the the food supply chain. Australia. That's another big place we pay. We've got a, a twelve a team of twelve based out of Sydney. What I love about our company is I, I can draw on the subject matter expertise anywhere in the world to help design the right solutions for our clients. I think you attended the RIM, RIMS conference in Atlanta recently. That's a, a massive risk management conference. I think 10,000 plus attend. 
must yeah. be like being in a, a small city. What's on risk managers' minds yeah. at the moment that's yeah. different to last year, perhaps? This was our first real, real comeback since COVID in person. It was amazing to see everyone back together again and actually appreciating each other. Um, I would say what's changed, and I've been going to RIMS since, boy, uh, boy, for 20 years, 25 years, the focus on resiliency and, and cyber and kinetic risks, if you will, the both I, the physical and the, the, the ones and zeros risks that we're facing, compounded with the geopolitical challenges we're having. And some of the geopolitical are, you know, actual, you know, war and strife in parts of the world. Some of it are the uh, leftover from the supply chain tariffs and fights we were having, port closures, port issues. To me, even though we're what in year five of a hard insurance market, yes, prices are always a discussion point, but but actually getting past that into program structures, how to manage your risk better so you can you can deal with higher deductibles. Um, and maybe with lower limits, but I, I've seen that's the, the bigger threat is is really thinking about resiliency and how do we intentionally focus our efforts in a more practical manner. In terms of the the risks facing facing the planet, what about nat cats? Massive focus, growing in severity, in frequency, and unfortunately, as we're seeing, you know, the length of the hurricane season has expanded. The the places we're seeing catastrophic weather, you know, the U.S. is having a slew of tornadoes in the last six, eight weeks that we don't normally have that time of year. Um, wildfires, that's a big stress. Obviously, Australia has had its its woes there. Uh, U.S. has been having them. Europe's been having them in places they wouldn't really have thought of before. And it seems year on year, they're getting worse and more frequent. So, definitely important and and being able to think about those risks in a different way. To me, your owned sites are a little easier to think about because you generally in your mind know, oh, I have my facility, you know, in a certain place, I know where it is. But stretch that to managing supply chains. You know, I I talked to one large uh, company two weeks ago with 400,000 suppliers. Now, how do you think about prioritizing what you do? And how do you think about a typhoon blowing up towards the Philippines or uh, an earthquake in Turkey? Or That puts it in perspective. If you have to know the nitty gritty about 400,000 suppliers, yeah. that's, I mean, that's impossible. I mean, how much of that work? Presumably, that's the work of the company. But are, are risk managers and insurance brokers feeling like they should be yeah. doing that too? Or are you more a facilitator? I think we're a facilitator to it. We should bring the discipline. We should bring the method. You know, to me, anytime I get a project with that many data points, now I want to start prioritizing. I want to start using some some data, metadata to, to all right, what type what type of suppliers are they? Which are the ones that I really are, you know, I'm completely dependent upon? What are my lead times? Which ones do I are commodities that I can replace fairly easily? Uh, which are those that without them, I don't have a product? And if you can start categorizing in that way and, and then using some visualization tools to, to look at different threat vectors. You know, I've, I've done projects where a client wants to focus on wildfire because, you know, one of the board members has a friend at another company who, who got impacted by wildfire. So so now the question comes down from the board and you can start you can start looking at historic wildfires. 
You can look at how Swiss Re and Munich Re with their tools, look at future wildfire risk. You can look at where your portfolio of assets sit and you can start saying, where do I maybe need to change my behavior? Maybe I need to ask my safety guys to do something different or my facilities engineers to, to give me some data so that I can, I can understand which are more susceptible and which need a bit more focus to protect. You've been busy adding specialists to your advisory boards. And um, I know Martin Dempsey, the retired U.S. Army general, just joined. Yep. You also have Juan Carlos Pinzon, who's Colombia's ambassador to the U.S. and a, one of his one of the former defense ministers of Colombia. So it's Army generals, Latin American defense ministers. I mean, what, what are you preparing for here yeah. exactly? Well, we've we've got them. We've got some others, business leaders and in our company already, the operational staff, I'll call them simply, we've got some great leaders who've, who've really done focused work, have a lot of experience. And we see that strategic advisory board is giving us that, that sort of higher level, the 30,000 foot experience and view and relationships to, to think about risk a little bit differently. The other thing that's interesting about our advisory board is they're not just there to advise us, but as a resource for our clients. So when they have particular risk issues, whether it be, you know, changes in Latin America and Juan Carlos can be a reference to somebody, he's available and uh, it's structured so that we can we can help our our clients with resources that may they may not have on their own to think about risks that their boards care is uh, concerned about and to think about them, you know, perhaps in a much broader high level view, if you will. Can you give us a, a working example of the sort of risks this sort of advisory board would be dealing with and, and I guess the process that your firm goes through when something critical breaks out? Because, you, I mean, obviously you're not for the average SME business. We're talking about when the serious stuff is really going down. Yeah, well, and it's fascinating being at RIMS. I, I was showing something. We were showing our tools. I mean, I had an amazing team with me there and we were presenting the, the Sigma 7 approach to things. And I found a number of companies, a number of the brokers who were interested, large and small, up to the biggest, down to small regionals who who have complex clients who are being tasked with risks that maybe they don't have a, an insurance budget enough to cover, or they realize that you know insurance, while really important to finance, if if you if you're out of product for two or three years because you've had a facility catastrophically damaged and your customers go elsewhere, there may not be anything left in two or three years to come back to if, if you've lost your whole customer base. So what we find is a lot of interest in thinking about resiliency different um, differently. And then when we're having some of these discussions, it's, it's pulling in the, the thought level. You know, We do a lot of work in energy, both renewables and traditional mining and steel and helping those companies tackle enormous risks that are really important to the world, helping them think about them in a practical way. You know, a, a, a company with a complex supply chain, by helping them, A, think about where they are in the world, then visually using our, one of our platforms to look at all their critical suppliers prioritized, overlaying our view of, of active security issues, physical events that are happening, you know, what happened yesterday in whatever country you're in nearby that you might need to be aware of. And then building a process where, hey, 
There might be some sites, some supplier sites you want to send an engineer to to actually do some risk assessment to understand if they're in a floodplain or not, to understand if they're a well-protected risk or a bit more uh, susceptible. And once you understand that, you can then work internally in your company to build a different way for supply chain teams to think about and prioritize. You know, don't just don't just assume inventory should be cut. Some areas inventory should be increased to protect the company. You know, most companies don't have risk teams of more, you know, the the max I've heard is, you know, seven to 10 people. For for companies with hundreds of thousands of employees, how do we help them have a much bigger impact across the world and deliver the risk management message to all the people who should actually be practicing it? Can you give a, a, a concrete example? I, I You probably can't mention specific names, but uh, just as a theoretical example, I'm a big shipping magnate. I have loads of tankers. I want them to go into the Black Sea, Russia and Ukraine, Crimea. There's obviously big problems there, getting tankers in and out. Where, where would I start when I call you guys? What, what, yeah. what do you say to me? Well, in that case, I, I would say, you know, let's look at the things that matter you, to you to, to do your job, to, to fulfill your mission, which is where are your ports and terminals? Which are the ports and terminals that, you know, may be more exposed to catastrophe risks? You know, sea level rise means something to a hurricane. You know, six inches can mean an awful lot when it when, you know, that's on top of um, the weather that changes when a hurricane or typhoon comes. Um, What routes are you taking? Even things as simple as, you know, your your cyber profile, what are you doing to control IT risks for your shipments, for your, you know, the, the whole control of your network. And how do you how do you know what's on the vessels when you're loading and unloading? How is that all protected? And, and then how do you build an intentional method so that you're peeling apart risks? You know, whether it be the you know, low sulfur fuel demand for conversion of your ships to protecting the ports and terminals and the cranes. Perhaps you also own your own container manufacturing business so you're thinking maybe you're you're more integrated in the supply chain where are the warehouses structured what's nearby you we had a, a severe incident at a port terminal a couple of years ago with a with a big explosion that in the middle east that caused a lot of damage and surprised people but how do how do we think about risk differently so that we avoid those surprises you know back back to my my early career that i mentioned before when i had this supportive cfo our our, our one of our missions was no surprises. Like we knew the CFO didn't like surprises. So everything we did had to be intentional and planned so that we didn't surprise him, you know, in any material way. What about if, if something, a couple of my ships were detained by the Russians? Would that be when I'd be getting people like Martin Dempsey and the Colombian ambassador? And We might get them involved to think about how do we have discussions, perhaps at some different levels. Uh, in the government, in the governments, because it's not anyone necessarily, but maybe a, co- a combined set of them needs to be involved. How do we think about why those events are happening? Is is that a, you know, a, a yin to some other yang that's that's causing that reaction of you know you've done something to me, so I'm gonna I'm gonna block your ship, I'm gonna hold your ships for a while until I get what I want. And then again, back to it, it's a big world out there. And each company is going to have a different set of things that it needs to to peel apart and prioritize, because what what might be irrelevant to one company 
might be the biggest risk there is to another. And, and being able to have that customized thought process so that you're not just taking one, a one, you know, one fit solution off the shelf and trying to force it to force it through every every company, which it's going to end up with a lot of waste. I'll just ask you one more question, which might be the politically sensitive one or, or it might not, depending on your perspective. Mm. But I mean, you're at the RIMS conference and you're talking about NatCats. You're advising. I know you do renewable, renewable energy, too, but you also have a lot mm. of work with mining companies. I mean, to what extent? And NatCat risks and the whole climate environment now, I guess, forcing you in a way to face mining companies with yeah. the future, which might be that they're not mining in 5, 10, 20 years. I mean, does that conversation have to come up? Do you feel impelled to bring it up or is it well, something they bring up? They're bringing it up and I'm hearing, you know, different ways to make metal. For example, if you work, you work with steel companies, there's techniques that they are doing to try to get away from some of the traditional, perhaps dirtier methods using technology. Um, it's meaning that they ha they're having to think about energy differently. If something's cleaner but, but requires more electricity to create, how do they get that extra power to their facilities? Is that something they want to own or they just want to support how do they think about their footprints? How do they think about their equipment replacement plans? Think about that question too in this time when supply chains are constrained. So if you're trying to upgrade plants and facilities and you need new tech and you need some, some very large equipments, but supply chains are stretched an extra year or two, how does that get into your planning? And it's it's trying to make sure all that's thought of so that you're you're making the right decisions when you think you should be. Is technology, is that the big panacea they're hoping for, which I guess in some cases is probably a bit of a fantasy and possibly too late? I'd say yes. What's good is they're ha they're having them. Even companies that I myself, it wouldn't come to my mind that, that they'd have a major climate impact stressor on them. I'm finding, you know, some of the big companies are spending an awful lot of time and resources, which is good. In thinking about it, thinking about their operations, thinking about their footprints now and 10 and 15 years from now, and not just from a risk perspective, i.e. If, if sea levels rise and flooding increases, I have more exposure, what should I do? But what am I doing to contribute to it? How can I bring down my emissions and reduce my impact so when I'm talking to my shareholders, I'm giving them the message that we're trying to be less a part of the problem um, while we're thinking about the company's future. And to me, that's that's a good thing if we just get more more folks involved and appreciating that we all do need to do something. There's some really big questions that people above my pay grade have to answer and and think through. I think it's great that so many in the risk space are thinking about it thinking about climate change. So I guess I would have to say I'm optimistic for my kids' sakes and their kids. But let's, we'll go with that one. We'll go with I'm optimistic. Andrew Tate, I'll leave you with that optimistic thought, partner and Sigma 7's integrated risk leader. Thanks a lot for spending some time with us. My pleasure. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. Thank you.